what it's like for you to be living up in Canada or feedback about, oh, there's the sneeze. I knew that was coming. You're listening to Leader FM, a weekly talk show for intelligent leaders and executive coaches reaching for the next level. Leader FM is hosted by executive coach, Dr. Scott Francis and marketing media man, Tony Creech. This episode of Leader FM is brought to you by Advanced Leadership Coaching and TheCreechLeague.com. This week on Leader FM, Tony and Dr. Scott answer feedback on expectations, talk about fires in business and in Saskatchewan, and Scott even learns what Reddit is. Hello world, you're listening to episode 002 of Leader FM. Dr. Scott and I are here and excited to talk leadership with you, and we believe that you are ready for the next level. So let's dive in. So good to chat with you, Scott. Hey, Tony. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you. Last time we did this, like, apart from each other, I just was watching your little picture on, on, on the uh, screen. The screen. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I like doing it face to face a little better. That's how a lot of people know me, just, just to see you on the screen. Yeah. When I last talked to you, I was in. Uh, Vancouver area. I don't know how they pronounce it there. Is that how the locals say it? Vancouver. I've just got back again from a totally other trip to the U.S. Yeah, you're down in the States. And it was a little crazy. It was fun because my my, uh, wife is Canadian uh, and I'm American. So it's just, it's it's fun. (laughs) We're down for the 4th of July. Okay. Amy's never seen fireworks before. She like in, in Wait, the US we never seen like three fireworks. days of like, No, no. Uh she has seen fireworks before. Okay. It's just a totally different thing. You know, you do like three different days of like fireworks and events and stuff. And we, we went to on the third, for instance, we went okay. to a bunch a big fireworks show. And then we went to like a rodeo and we went to a parade and more fireworks and did fireworks at our house. Now some of those were cool. Some of those we're not that great, you know? It's, <laughs> that sounds like one of those redneck videos on YouTube. Look at that. I made my own fireworks here. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> some of the some of the stuff we just didn't know what the heck it was. You know, sometimes they're just repackaging things, but they're, it's a different packaging. Okay. Um, <laughs> when we were there, there's a guy who, he launched a firework off his head and died. No. In the U.S., I don't know if you read about Wait, it. Wait, and he news, died. So it's sad. He died. Okay, so given these rockets, there's lots of different kinds of fireworks, but there's kinds that are rockets. And he lit it. He was, I think, he was intoxicated. It's wild. That's that. He's going to be one of the members of the Darwin uh, Awards, Darwin right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. We used to have a guy um, for the football team here in Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and he would wear a hard hat and set off a firework on his head every time we scored a touchdown. And he started off, he was sitting in the crowd and he would do this with all the people around. And then eventually they, they brought him down onto the field. Really? That sounds like a not smart idea, even if you have a helmet on. Not that I would ever speak ill of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. (laughs) You know, but what I can say is, is that with the way they're playing these days, that guy is perfectly safe. (laughs) We do have some follow-up every week we follow up from your feedback of all sorts that you can send in at leader.fm uh, which is a web address if you did not know it's <laughs> like a dot com but it's dot fm isn't that neat i did think it was neat i thought it was really cool one follow we got and this relates to you uh doctor is uh pomodoro timers 
Oh yeah. Is there is there ones for the Mac or for iOS? Quick reviews. Uh, is there? Can you give us a uh, an idea of? You know, some of the apps which that are one, out there which for one people to try? that can try, yeah. Right. And which ones, maybe you've tried some and you can tell us which ones are good and which ones are terrible. I did. I tried a few. And the one that I ended up uh, going with is just called Pomodoro Timer. Mm. Um, and But when you when you look in the app store, you'll see now there are loads of them. Um, the, what you want is to find one that does the timer, that you can adjust it a little bit, uh, but that every time you're done, you can type in what you did okay. and then it keeps track of that. So typing what you did is a critical part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the idea is mm-hmm. that you're keeping yourself accountable. Uh, and if you mm-hmm. get interrupted or if you don't finish the 25 minute thrust, yeah. you don't get to count it. So at the end of the day, you count up how many Pomodoros you did. Mm. So I got eight done today, or I got 16 done today. And then you know it was a really, like you can kind of gauge your day. So I can't count if, if when I look in the box, it says, I went on Twitter. <laughs> or you have to write it down. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'd look for, is just, just make sure that it's got that option to it. Don't get too complex. Really, the easiest way to do it is to actually stay, if you're sitting at a desk, stay away from a, an app, because you can get distracted and pulled into other apps. Yeah. I wonder if there's one that's just a checkbox, was productive, click, and you can see how many, unless you really need to know exactly what you did. I don't know. I haven't studied this process and there's psychological benefit. When I was doing my dissertation, uh-huh. um, I, that's where I found it really worked because I needed, you know, I could go for about four hours before my brain started to go a little wonky. Um, and so in that time, I wanted to make sure that I was focused and I would write down what I was working on. So oftentimes, every time I would say, you know, researching this one piece and I'd write that three or four times, but then I'd get to the fourth one and it, it was compiling my research on that one piece. And then I could look back over all of my Pomodoros and I would, I would be able to kind of track what my whole workflow had been for the last you know month. Mm. Um, so it, for me, it became almost a source of uh, research on my own research style. Yeah. Cool. Another follow-up uh, last episode, we spoke about expectations a little bit. Yeah. And one of the bits of feedback we got from a listener who goes by Dustin, he was really struck by the fact that most people don't know what's expected of them and they need to be specifically told. Uh, he did say that maybe it reminded him a little bit of children or robots. And I was like, if you have children that actually do what they're told, that's amazing. <laughs> Those are robots. <laughs> but uh, he said, what do you think about clear expectations as a way to weed out poor workers. He says, I don't know, seems to be the go-to excuse for poor work. If you eliminate that excuse, then you can see who needed a clarification and who's just a poor worker. And do you think by weeding out, do you think he means like letting go poor workers? Yeah, I think so. Right. And he, he, he goes on to say, uh, if someone's performance is poor, it's either your fault or theirs. Clear expectations help you find out who it is. And I'm guessing give them the axe, but I don't know what it means. I do think that um, uh, you want to be identifying those individuals in your organization that are slowing you down, the dead weight, the individuals that aren't. And, uh, you know, there's there's some authors that would suggest you should need to be firing your bottom 10%. Uh, and that that's, and I, and I think that there's definitely a lot of validity to that. The challenge, at least in our current work environment, where, where I am a lot of my clients, the workforce is so tight 
turnover is a killer for them. Yeah. I mean, it hurts you money wise. Oh yeah. It it's does. really expensive. Uh, and so, and actually I'll give you the stats on that. Um, the, uh, the cost of losing, losing a worker, uh, if it's a hourly wage, it typically costs in lost productivity and, and the cost of replacing them and whatnot, it typically costs about, uh, six months of their, of their income. If it's, uh, a salaried position, it can cost up to 18 months of their income. Mm. You know, so you, you think about if you've got someone that's working at 40% yeah. capacity, is it worth it to let them go and, and incur the cost of replacing them or not? And in some cases, my clients are making the choice knowingly, you know, this, in, this individual is just, they're never going to be at a at you know an eight or a nine level kind of thing they're going to be always at a four but you know what we're going to keep them i think though once once you get into a, a place where you want to have a high performance or when you're when you're talking higher executives and whatnot if you've got someone who is continually not understanding the expectations especially when they're put out there yeah, yeah you've got a problem and uh you've got to start making some changes with them um it doesn't necessarily mean that you fire them right off the bat. There's lots of other ways, uh, disciplinary ways to work with them, coaching ways. In a lot of cases, they've gotten themselves into a place where they're just not listening. They're not paying attention. Um, and unless we, as their supervisors, are, we're not just telling them what our expectations are, but we're also at the end measuring them by those very expectations... Um, then they're kind of missing the piece there, you know, like, you know, you know what they say is, is that we do what gets measured. Yep. So, Absolutely. so if, if I'm told by my boss, I want you to do a, B and C, but the only thing that shows up in my performance evaluations and anything that has to do with, um, uh, compensation or benefits or anything like that is a and B, then C can oftentimes just get set aside. Yeah. And it's crazy how many uh, people have worked with where they have employees doing critical work that is off their sheet, meaning mm. it's not part of their expectations and measurement. They're doing it and it's not part of their rewards, which is more important because even if they do agree to it for a while, well, they haven't agreed to it in a financial way. It's not connected to their actual job and, and they're not going to do it forever. They'll burn out. Cause you need those rewards. Yeah. yeah. I think then, then it's like, I mean, stuff like that 10% rule. I mean, that's a great rule. If you actually have a solid system by identifying that 10%, because mm. I mean, how do you identify it? If you, if you let, do you let managers just do it? And then if you get a bad manager, he's getting, he could be get, getting rid of good people. And that's kind of why the pruning, pruning from the top and being very conscious and clear all the way down is and those policies that might be good, but Links in the chain can cause really big problems. Yeah. Yeah. So Dustin, I think that's a great insight. Good question. Like it's absolutely like if you have somebody you think is a poor worker, the first thing you, you I would probably do is to look at what, what expectations I've set for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause I've messed that up where I'm, where I've set, where I've realized, you know, this is me. I need it. I need it. I need to step back and tweak it. Yeah. Sometimes relationships can go for years like that and then they can reach a point where they're non-repairable are is it a case that they're a poor worker that they know what they need to do they're just not delivering or is it a case that they are very poor at contracting you know they they are in there with their boss and for whatever reason they're just not able to hear or their social contract is somewhat kind of hazy 
to what is being asked of them. And even beyond the understanding, matching your style to something that they can get excited about. So there's the whole understanding and performing, but then you want them to actually do it not just okay, but do it really well. Mm-hmm. And then you you apply that epistemology stuff we were talking about, where if that person, you know, you could just give them the authoritative, this is what you do. But if you invite them into it, if let's say you want to use kind of a constructivist model and say, you know, let's me and you talk together about what your expectation should be. You know, you can raise that level of ownership of their own job. And I mean, I guess I wanted to add the positive side, not just the firing side. Uh, right, right. You know, I had a boss once. Um, oh, that's good. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome guy. Uh, and his kind of philosophy was to give their, to give the staff a lot of leeway and rope and freedom. And, and in that though, quite often you didn't have a sense of how you were doing. Um, like there weren't any performance evaluations and there weren't any, any clear expectations laid out. Um, he got better over time, but I remember sitting down with, with the, a couple of the individuals who took over my job after I'd been there and just giving them the heads up saying, don't expect this, your boss to lay out the expectations of what you're going to do. Because I'll tell you something, there was a point at when I was working there where that really started to discourage me. I didn't even understand it. I'm just, I don't know what this individual wants. I'm, I don't know if I'm doing good. And at that point in my life, I needed to know whether I was doing good in this role. Um, you know, egos and and the reality of how we feel about ourselves um, all comes down to that that one thing: there, am I doing good? Is this okay, boss? And if you're not getting, if you're not getting the feedback, as well as not getting the expectations, you're missing that whole piece there. So I actually ended up, um, I did a whole doctoral, or sorry, uh, my master's dissertation mm-hmm. was on three sixty feedback. Um, and it was really around this whole question here of, of uh, expectations and feedback, uh, how to do that for people effectively, because I was hungry for it, you know. Showing my weakness here, at one point, this is when I was in my 20s, at one point I actually wrote out my uh, resignation letter and gave it to him with this question mark saying, like, am I the guy you want? And, and he, he came back and said, of course you're the guy I want, you know, and I, and I didn't realize that now I can look back and say that was a, that was a young 20 year old asking more. So boss, I need, I need you to lay out your expectations and your feedback. And I need to know when I'm succeeding in them. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. I wouldn't do that now. Don't recommend doing that to anybody, but that's what I did then. Use that at home. <laughs> right in. Tell us about it. An- another, uh, listener named Paul wrote in, uh, he wrote in saying you discussed both the kind of forward-looking expectations a company could have, such as double sales, and the inherent, often unspoken expectations companies can have, such as managers have for their employees' performance. Metrics get a lot of attention in the literature and conferences. In my experience, tracking any metrics affects the outcome of the measurement over the long term. You start tracking your weight, and you will find yourself doing things that will cause the number to change. You track your sales calls, and you find behavior changes to cause an effect on metrics. Can you discuss if, how, and why you would track the kind of expectations you talked about in the last episode? Mm. Like, what are the steps about, you know That's senior managers would take in documenting their expectations for their company's future? How should they communicate them to their staff, if at all? 
Well, he's right. He's talking about, um, in research circles, it's called the Hawthorne effect. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the thing when, when you are researching somebody and they know they're being researched, their behavior changes. It's like the, is that uh, Hawthorne effect relates to the panopticon? It's the idea of a prison that all the prisoners are always being watched. So they uh, always feel watched to see if that affects their behavior. What did you call that? Panopticon? Panopticon. Or that sounds like a new movie. kind of a thing. Right. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but that Let's being that observed. <laughs> this summer. Coming to you. It needs to take place in England. England. The Panopticon. They're always watching you. You can never get away. You always have to behave. You have to sit here and listen to our accents for another <laughs> Really <minute>. bad accents. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're saying Hawthorne effect. So the Hawthorne effect, and, and, that's, and that's what I was saying. You do what you, gets measured, right? And, and um, so he's right. When you bring your eyes to your group, it's like, you know, when you're in school and the, and the teacher was teaching and then the principal walked in and just sat there in class everyone's behavior changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, at, I, I'm not sure in the question, is he asking how can you leverage that? Or is he asking, uh, he's asking a bunch here, probably this could be a whole episode, but uh, how do you track expectations? Why uh, do you, you know, do you tell your staff? I would, one thing I'd say is you absolutely communicate them to your staff. Mm. Uh, you over communicate them to your staff. You extra, extra over communicate them to your staff knowing what is expected and what your actual expectations are, everything. And, uh, you know what though? That's a really interesting thing to track expectations. I've never thought down that line before. Like, like to have, um, a document that actually lists what my expectations were three years ago, Mm -hmm. two years ago. And when, and, and, uh, to see, cause I, I know of one organization, uh, this is in the financial sector. Um, where every six months, it seems, there's a new set of expectations being brought down from on high, you know, six or seven layers up in the organization. And they're already trying to meet the new initiatives and whatnot from last, you know, the last quarter. And all of a sudden there's new expectations that are put on them for this quarter. They maintain what you did last time, but here, do this next one here. And they still haven't caught up. Um, and, uh, and in that case there, if they were tracking their expectations, they would realize we have, we have put too much on our people, but they're not tracking it because probably what's going on is that the people in those situations and those roles up top are changing mm-hmm. quite quickly. You know, it's like a school board. Uh, the one school board makes some decisions and then they, uh, the whole bunch of other people get elected, you know, and so the one school board decided to renovate a school and then four years later, the, a new group of people decide to close that school and, and move all those kids to, you know, amalgamate with a different. Anyways, my point is um, the expectations, if you track them, you might notice that you're either being tyrannical or you're not stretching your people enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, in certain situations, it's easy to track. Like if public companies that have to that list out guidance at all, you just look how, how well they're following their guidance. It goes into, you know, hmm. the spreadsheet the analysts use to say, okay, you know, they've always been 10% over their reality and their guidance or 10% under. Right. They underbid themselves. Uh, and that obviously provides 
a, a bit of important information. And if you can track, you can know, just working with an organization that had this big problem where, you know, they're, they're consistently setting expectations for, for their goals that just, they never reach. And they're setting mm-hmm. expectations based on like what they need in terms of the money to, to pay for their budget that somebody sells we need to make instead of their sales numbers and how likely they are to actually reach that. Mm-hmm. And, and if they had, if they had a little document showing how, how every time they've been wrong by this percentage, well, that wouldn't that change, that would change that executive meeting. I'd say, well, I don't know if I trust those numbers cause we've been wrong by 25% right, for the right. last 20 years. So. Uh, this number's worthless to us. Yeah. Of course, lots of systems for strategic planning, but there's a couple of new apps that I've played around with online that use technology, use an app to take you through strategic planning processes. Huh. Because you do it all in line, they track what everybody says at certain points, and that would I would assume some of the, some of those have that kind of tracking of people's expectations built in. I didn't think of it in terms of expectations, but that's really what they're doing. Right. Right. Using software, using this strategic planning software uh, to get a bunch of people's opinion, but it's documented so you can return to it in your next strategic planning session. So with that kind of thing, do you have to like, do you have to be editing yourself to make sure you don't just throw something out there and then, and then it's recorded forever? That- the, the problem with any kind of uh, using any kind of medium that, you know, is non just you verbally talking to somebody else anytime it's recorded mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Hawthorne effect where you worry not about the people in the room or even the people in the strategic process now, but who's going to end up seeing this later since it's written down. I'm less likely to change my mind. I'm less likely because I've stated it now on paper. Somehow getting a community where you can use media, but still be flexible is tough. Just as you're talking, I would want to have the option of uh, if I was communicating just an idea, yeah. to put a time timer thing on it. So it's like Snapchat, you know, it, it'll only be there for, you know, a month and then it's going to be gone. So they can't ding me later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what, just, uh, just getting back to the expectations, um, w- like with strategic planning, um, I, I was just meeting with one of my clients, an old client. I haven't seen him in about a year and a half. And we were working through setting some expectations for his business. Yeah. Um, and using some of the techniques that I use, um, one of the things we do, we anchor their goal. It's something we'll talk in a, in a future podcast. Um, but, but the promise that I made him was if you do this effectively, like if you anchor this well, your expectation, uh, for your future performance, you will meet your goal plus or minus 5%. And, uh, his goal was to double his business within a year. Um, and so this first time I'd seen him since we did that. And he said that, yeah, he hit it. He hit it. It was minus 5%, doubling his, his uh, business. Um, and, uh, and he just said, a matter of fact, yeah, that was the promise you made. And, and we hit it. Yeah. And I could tell that, that uh, you know, in, inside I was thinking, oh, that's, that's awesome. It worked exactly as, as I knew it would. And the other thing I was thinking was, you know what? I didn't anchor an expectation for myself for my business year that way. You know, the whole time that I was working with him a year ago, I was thinking, I need to do the same for myself. And I just never took the time to actually use the techniques that I, that I have. And, and dang it. So his business grew more than mine did. I do the worst work for myself. Isn't it? 
The cobbler's shoes. Have no shoes. Cobbler's family. Yeah. The cobbler's shoes have, have no shoes. Wait. The cobbler's shoes have no kids. <laughs> Man, those fires are still going. They are. What are they on now? I think they're at like 125 fires. Up yeah, on Facebook, I saw last night it was posted something, I think, allegedly from the government. Allegedly government? I don't know. <laughs> Who can say? They could have been using the logo. Things just happen on Facebook. I don't know how. When I was driving and leaving to go to the U.S., it was still, there's smoke everywhere. It looked like just, just north of town was on fire in the fields couldn't imagine that it was way up there I don't know, how many hours away is that from here eight uh oh at least yeah you can see it from space hey there's pictures of it and it's just it's coming from like halfway up saskatchewan which is long ways um and into alberta there and it's coming way down and into into the united states see i need a space camera so i could do space that camera let's put it in our budget <laughs> and it followed all like me all the way into montana so mm-hmm. i was almost to helena before the smoke stopped. When I was in Utah, uh, I heard a lot about and spent a lot of time with uh, a business that's in negative, terrible position, bad fires, fires, fires. Like putting out fires within the organization? Is just on fire. So is it is it intrinsic problems? Like it's stuff going on inside? like, Or is it more yeah. so precious no, it's outside? Intrinsic. It's all intrinsic. Yeah. So if they had their house together, yeah, they'd, be they'd be doing just fine lots. because there's... The industry is doing well. Gotcha. And uh, it you know made me think about this idea of because we had talked about strategy before, but this strategic response. How do we respond to these things? Mm. You know, I, I pay attention to a lot of news. I read too much news, <laughs> uh, but that's part of that's part of what I do is to understand that stuff. And uh, there's, I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of fires going on. And I mean, and, and I'm talking to a guy who, besides being uh, an executive coach, is a volunteer fireman. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a title. If you're chief of no, uh, I'm just firefighter a, police. No, I'm just a firefighter. I don't know. No, I don't have any bars on my shoulder. Does, is it cool that a brass? You have a title that has the word fighter in it. That's cool. <laughs> well, I'm a fighter. Yeah, I'm a fighter. Really? Like uh, <laughs> UFC, I'm a glacial I'm fighter. Mostly fires. I fight glaciers. The two different types of fires, obviously you're using the allegory of fire for internal fires that are happening in an organization. Um, and and uh, I, one of my jobs, uh, I was a dean of students at a college and, and a lot of times my job was fires, putting out, you know, it, things with, with uh, you know, you've got a suicidal student, um, you know, that's something that you don't just let go, um, but it's, it's a crisis you know can happen. And when it comes, you've just got to respond to it. And so often, you know, I'd have to put my meetings aside and just deal with it. And some of the crises that I'd have would take a whole week. And uh, there's lots of leaders out there that know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you've got all your meetings you have to go to, but every spare other minute is spent putting out fires. Now, I think um, the ideal is that your organization is so healthy that they rarely happen. The challenge is... Most organizations have enough dysfunction in them that the firefighting takes up more time than the actual getting in shape and, and getting better. Um, so, uh, yeah, usually when I first meet with a client, oftentimes their plate is so full, one more crisis, and there's no room for anything. So the even the coaching session is almost too much for them to, to budget time for. 
um, because they're just running around putting out fires. The challenge is to carve out time to work on health of the organization as opposed to just firefighting. It's kind of like the difference between um, taking an aspirin for the pain or actually starting to work out so that your back gets stronger and your, you know, your core gets stronger. Um, the aspirin is easier. Uh, the other one's going to take time. It's going to hurt. But in the long run, that you're going to lead to a lot more health. I was just talking to a client yet uh, last night who typically spends about 20% of his time putting out fires. Mm. And, uh, and sometimes fires can be external. And that's, if you know, depending on how your industry is linked, what your dependencies are. Um, you know, they're put in a position where it went up to like 75%. Of their time was, was they're it not, external? They're not necessarily his fires, but his business absolutely has to solve these fires. Otherwise, they're not going to make money. Right. When you go from 20 to 75% of your time putting out fires, it's quite a lot. And so, so I'm guessing that the, the fire teams that are addressing all these fires in Northern Saskatchewan, that they have, you know, fire plans, I guess. I mean, that should be yeah. all the plans they have, really. But Yeah, no. So, um, well, what you've got uh, at that level, you have what's called the incident command system. And it's, it's a thing that was designed in the 60s. Uh, what they were finding is that when they would bring in different groups like they bring in firefighters from a different province or it was designed in the states actually um they were fighting some of the wildfires in in california and and they discovered that people were using different language uh you know one firefighting group from one place would call this a tanker and the other group would call it a support truck you know and and that would just throw everybody off. So the idea was to make the language the same and more so to make the organizational structure the same regardless. So the uh, incident command structure, um, it's got one incident commander and then under he or she, there are very specific roles that if the incident grows to a certain size, those roles automatically kick in and people step into it and every firefighter and actually anybody in any kind of emergency service in North America now has studied that incident command structure. So I could go to California and they use the same language that I do for these large incidents. And I know that there's somebody out there who holds this one role and, and under them are all these different, um, subcategories and sub roles so I can slot in uh, without there being any uh, kind of confusion you know and this this structure can grow or shrink depending on the size of the incident and it includes a whole group that are in charge of finance another group that's in charge of uh, um, planning for how to fight this fire another group that's actually doing the fighting incident command structure sounds like you understand at every level of the scale all the different roles that would be needed at that level of scale. This is just basics of, I, of even learning how to scale something, but for what you sell, for how you make money, how, how many people are needed to sell that? And if you sell more, how many people are needed that, and to do it? And then there's this, a question of quality level. Is it any higher quality to have five extra salesmen? You use your limits, uh, which might be factory. It might be as simple as the fact that you would need to hire so many more people that it might not be worth having another a single other salesman because if you just hire them but you don't have the admin you don't have all the other people that salesmen need to access maybe tech the tech experts 
to have time for the salesman to call them when they're working with a client and trying to make something and answer questions. But each job is linked together so so well that so companies can grow lumpy. And you can, mm. if you've ever been hired as a lump, you've, you know what I'm talking about because you've been hired and there's nobody around to give me this information. So you need to wait for your manager who doesn't have any time because they're doing putting out fires, play secretary and play all this other stuff for you, or you play it for yourself, which is often more than you bargain for. Yep. Yeah. That scalability, understanding the company and how, what people they need to do what jobs and how that produces money, how they make money is critical. Is there an easy way to take that incident? Like take that instant command idea and, and yeah. translate it to the, I think, well, I think there's a couple of principles you can draw from it. Like one of it is the scalability. Um, you can, if it's just a one house fire, you still use it, but there's a whole bunch of individuals that you don't need to have there. You don't need somebody there, you know, planning for meals and, uh, you know, where you're going to sleep overnight because you'll be done in about four or five hours, depending on how big the fire is. Um, but if it's a huge one, then yeah, you, you've got to have all of those pieces there. And that's kind of the same, you know, businesses when, when all of a sudden you've got a big order do you have the kind of space in your structure to grow for that order and then shrink afterwards? Because this is one of the challenges um, in business. Um, you don't have the liquidity of employees? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like what they've currently got. They've got 1,500 people up there fighting these fires. Wow. Right? And it's, it's swelled. Uh, there's, I think they're, uh, the, pre- the premier just said that they are um, 10 times, there's, there's 10 times more uh, acres burning now than in an average year. Mm. But at the end of it, once we start to cut out some of these fires, it's very easy to take some of these resources out. Whereas with a company, you know, you say you hire an extra 200 employees, you can't just dump the 200 employees and then hire them back a week later and dump mm-hmm. them again, you know. So there, there's some challenges there. I know a lot of companies will, in order to deal with that, they'll hire consultants. Mm-hmm. I mean, they totally should. Yeah. I don't just say that because I consult. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's the downside of it is the first people to get cut are consultants. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's such a hard life. Contracting and stuff, that's uh, that ability to scale. And how you grow your business, this should be like one of those important uh, things you think about. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you buying a bunch of trucks and you're making a big capital investment that doesn't scale well? <laughs> is there another way to grow your business that actually is safer? Some like, you know, like we have a lot of camps in Saskatchewan and when camps grow and they need a lot of resources and they build new buildings and they do all this stuff. If the numbers go down, well, they've now they have to take care of these buildings, which is a cost that's always there. It's fixed, as we say, right? Yeah. Fixed costs hurts. So you're planning on how you make money. Maybe the answer isn't to get bigger because you know that the the number of customers, if you understand your market well enough, you'll know that that's not just going to keep growing because of if you're if you're like for instance if you're a christian camp you're not you're not going to ever grow to have everybody in the province your your growth is very specifically limited right and so it would be unwise to make certain kinds of capital investments that will hurt you later yeah yeah do you have like a special you don't have to tell us but you know do you have a special scott system for this <laughs> a scott system or even for your group like the advanced leadership i know there's a lot of different systems for productivity some of those speak to scaling. Some of those don't. Uh, like I don't have a particular trademarked method or anything. But like when you when it, when you look at incident stuff from a communications perspective, mm-hmm. they need kind of a plan for if this thing goes, goes sour. Yeah, and, I do. I do <laughs> take some of the 
the principles within the incident command system. Depending on the, the situation, I help people incorporate some of that into their strategic planning mm. um, and, and also their organizational design. Mm. See, one of the key things in incident command system is, is span of control. That an individual is not overseeing more than seven people um, or less, like, like th anywhere between three and seven, five is kind of the ideal. Um, if it gets beyond that, you start to, that's where they find a lot of communication breakdowns. So when a manager has 20 uh, directs underneath them that they're, they're supervising, you know they're dropping balls. You know there are yeah. some people that are, are out in left field, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a dropped ball in that. You've been there, hey? Yeah. Team's too big. Yeah. And it, it, I think that's, that's one of the keys. The, the challenge, though, is when you've, got, when you've got an organization where there are thousands of workers, sometimes you can get so top-heavy because you're, you know, everybody has to be supervised by, you have a very, very large upper pyramid, and, it, and you don't necessarily need to have that. But especially when people are making decisions for your company, they need to have access to their supervisor. And a supervisor who is not so distracted with the fires that they can't pay attention to your safety and your, um, your life and what you're doing. Mm. One of the things is um, the efficiencies that come with uh, communication. You always know with the incident command system who to ask, right? And, and where permission flows mm. and where the money flows and when you've got a challenge or when you're seeing danger, who the person is to talk to. But, and, and with so many organizations, a lot of that is left um, just tacitly. The more you're around, the more you'll find out who's really in charge, but the actual structure isn't written down or there are a ton of these things being left. Um, and like the one organization you're describing there where they're putting out a bunch of fire, I bet you that one of their key issues is their organi organizational structure isn't clear enough. And there's a lot of people asking, who do I, who do I talk to for this? Oh, like the, like the heat moves up, all the problems move up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was part of one of those camps you were describing and, uh, the organizational structure was pretty wonky like that. Um, and I wanted to hang up a picture for this one thing that I was doing and I had to put a nail into the wall. I didn't know who to ask. And so I started asking around, so who's, who do I, how do I get permission to hang a picture here? And nobody knew, including the board members, you know, so, so That's obviously great. there is the permission was really stunted there. When you get into uh, nonprofit work, it's, it, it feels negative to, to lay out. We talked yeah. about last time, yeah. it feels negative to lay out clear expectations. No, it's not negative. It's not negative in the least. It's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful to know where to put a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean in the ground, not like that joke. I'm trying not to dive deeply into this organizational design. Yeah, we've stuff. gone down a bit of a rabbit but trail. But I do think we? that one of the reasons why this is a problem in this incident command structure, is that what it's called? Hmm? Why it's helpful to think about and look at is because of how I feel structure, company structures, and has been in, in massive change lately. You know, you, we're moving from that old industrial model that uh, tries to keep employees dumb and doing simple tasks and have managers that watch, you know, them in some kind of McDonald's style uh, structure to almost anything goes. There, there, there's so many experiment, experiments right now in yeah, structure. It's yeah. a great time because in Silicon Valley where companies can grow so fast, we have so many startups growing so fast, you can analyze methods 
quickly because you can you can take analysis of like a hundred small companies and how they grow. Like in another era where you weren't having that kind of boom, you wouldn't have been able to get that kind of data so quickly. And so mm. many people doing like Zappos or people that incorporating different kinds of structures or no managers or uh, um, yeah. crazy things, things that sound crazy only because of having so much knowledge of the industrial model style. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. There's one organizational structure that I'd like to see in action. Uh, it's, it's called a matrix structure mm-hmm. where uh, individuals shift uh, their roles quite dramatically. Like, so it isn't a really top down kind of method where you know exactly who your boss is and that is the same boss for the next six months kind of thing. But it all depends on what project you're working on. And groups are put together for that project and one person is in charge of that. And then it shifts and to other projects, someone else is in charge and and the power flows in this kind of, um, well, matrix is the best way to describe it. Uh, like, like, like the, is, that the, is that completely project-based? Uh, it's, it's typically for organizations that do a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Studied a little bit of that from the project perspective to say that make the project kings can shift bad people out quicker. Right. Rather than need right. to change an entire role. So if somebody is the manager of this and they're that for all projects, then it, it can be hard because if you want to introduce a new person, that other person needs to be put down. And it's all becomes more dramatic than this person is in charge of this project. This person's in charge of that other project. Mm-hmm. And you give two people a chance in a role. It'd, it'd be weird to hire two people for the same job. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I don't think that it would work in all contexts by nope. any means, but in certain contexts it would. I'm, so I, I, I've studied it, but I've never actually uh, worked with a company that's using it. So. I'd like to see that model applied to companies that typically wouldn't fit that in an attempt to turn their, their normal operations into projects and lending stuff from another industry actually can dramatically improve customer experience. Mm. If you think in terms of projects, the reason why I love that word, maybe I'm from heavily project based, like film and marketing, everything's so project based. So obviously I'm playing, I'm talking about something I'm really comfortable with, but that mindset you have these little projects and it provides more opportunities for failure and growth and doing well and things go behind you quicker. Mm. It allows for leadership development too, because you can put someone who typically wouldn't get leadership for at least three or four years to give them kind of charge of a smaller project. And they've got people working under them who are more seasoned and they get a chance to to learn that. Yeah, there's some benefits. There's downsides to it as well. Instead of taking an employee that isn't in management and putting them into a management role, to become the manager of that team, which is a move. And then there's politics with their, their peers and there's change and giving that person a project to be manager of that's very short term can help you test them. It can help them grow in in small ways. It's, it's less all at once. Um, it, it can provide opportunity for rapid growth and change. I say I'm, but I'm, I'm, that's, I'm fascinated by that too. So we should, maybe we should, uh, This is a long rabbit trail. We could keep we going down. We should do a research project. Yeah, on this. yeah. Well, I can also see some downsides to it, um, because a lot of a lot of times, the uh, the impetus for success um, rides very heavily on the supervisor, and some supervisors are really good at, at that, and others not so well. And if you're if you're doing this more unstructured kind of thing, lots of times when it comes down to a team, you're less. Uh, there's when, when the, if you want to call it the tension to succeed is spread out amongst us, as opposed to me, 
oftentimes teams don't succeed because um, there isn't somebody who really is pushing for success. So that's when you've got the top down thing, there's, there is some strength in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I consider all communications and marketing an essential pillar of any business of any size, even if it's just one guy running his one small business, he is involved in marketing and all this stuff before he hires marketers, before he makes a separate communications plan, the business plan is also the communications plan. And I bring this up because of, you know, speaking of fires, uh, that there is a bunch of fires about Reddit. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mentioned Reddit to you before. And do you know what Reddit is yet? <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, you know what? You told me about Reddit the other day, and now I am a Reddit junkie. It didn't take me long to really start to like it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. You are changing me. Well, it's funny because... What I wanted to talk about was how Reddit, number one, like if you go to Reddit right this very second, actually. Okay, let's not go there and see it. what happens. Even Reddit's tagline is often calling itself the front page of the internet. But on the front page of Reddit, you see the most popular, most viewed, most commented on stories. And number one right now is an AMA with Sir Ian McKellen, the actor. Uh, and an AMA is an Ask Me Anything, and it's an interview. So a famous person oh. sits down for an interview, they'll go on Reddit and anybody so, can post a... So he's sitting there right now and I could ask him a question? If it's live, I mean, it might be over and it's been and it's just popular after the fact or it's happening right this moment. And if so, you can post a comment and he can respond to it. Oh. Also, people can vote. An essential part of Reddit is upvotes and downvotes. So you can post a comment and 5,000 people can upvote your question. And he can see 5,000 people really want me to answer this question. Okay. Or 5,000 people can downvote your question. There's a lame question. You can see, everybody hated this question. <laughs> gotcha. And it gets hidden in the stack of thousands and thousands and thousands of posts right. or comments. But Reddit, they, they have these AMAs. It's the most popular thing. Obama has done one or two, maybe. Um, they are an essential part of movie stars trying to boost movies. Every time it's like, oh, with Samuel Jackson, Sir Ian McKellen, it's like, well, what movie is coming out? What's movie out? coming out with them? What movie gotcha. coming out, yeah. obviously. But when the president is using you, I mean, you're, you've reached a really important place in terms of the news cycle and media. Yeah. And news is always stealing stuff from Reddit and then speaking bad about Reddit. It's so funny. They steal, they're, they steal stuff right out of Reddit and then talk about Reddit like it's untrustworthy when that's where they're getting their stuff. Same thing with Twitter, but media likes Twitter better. But with Reddit... Um, they, the company had, had let go a woman named Victoria. I can't remember her last name, maybe Taylor. And but Victoria is the one who is always arranging the AMAs. And we know everybody knows who she is. Cause a lot of times the person won't actually be typing. It'll be, hi, I'm here with Victoria. Victoria is typing my answers. So it might be Madonna standing there and Victoria is a really fast typer. She's typing everything Madonna says. And she does a fantastic job. So everybody in Reddit loves her. Okay. Well, Reddit let her go. Ah. And there was some talk of them changing the structure. And to, to help you understand Reddit, there's Reddit, which is a website, but it, it really exists as a bunch of subreddits. Even the front page is technically a subreddit. And the idea is, is there's almost like forums. The whole thing is basically kind of like a forum or a bulletin board, bulletin board system. And... 
people can talk about almost anything. And no, they can, not almost, they do. And the idea is, is that like there's default subreddit subreddits that are based on topics like books or television and music. And if you're interested in something, you can go to a subreddit about it. There's probably one about leadership and ask me anything. AMA AMA. is a subreddit. And there is these moderators. Moderators aren't necessarily Reddit employees. They're anybody. You can become a moderator of something. Oh, no, you okay. Just, you don't just say, I want to be one. And, they slap and so a badge that's, on she you. was a moderator working for the company? Well, obviously, because she got fired. No, she wasn't a moderator. I said, I don't think so. Uh, write, write, write in and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, the thing is, is that also a large part of the functioning of Reddit happens through moderation. So the moderators of that subreddit shut it down hmm. in a protest. Oh, protest to her getting because fired. She, she got fired. Okay. They weren't told about it. They weren't prepped for it. And the moderators who aren't Reddit employees shut down that. And then one after one, a bunch of subreddits joined the protest and okay. shut down their subreddit. So people, so all these people would go to it and it'd say that it wasn't open. And then at the bottom, it'd explain why. I mean, this obviously this got national news because Reddit is such a big deal. Hmm. Ellen Powell, their CEO, posted, and you can see this. I had this graph of like her karma. Karma is like, how many upvotes do you get? How many downvotes do you get? You okay. Uh, and her karma just drop. There's a couple of things that I felt like Reddit had done really wrong. For one, they missed how big of a deal getting rid of Victoria would be. People commonly don't even think about the CEO of Reddit much, but they think about Victoria a lot since she does one of the most popular things on the website. Mm. And they got rid of her. Just kind of like the front man for a rock band. And they got rid of her without even prepping the moderators of her own form that she works with. Right. Which is crazy town in Communicationsville, especially when you're Reddit. And if you understand what Reddit is, it'd be crazy that they wouldn't understand how communications work on Reddit. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, was it yesterday or something? I saw that Ellen's gone. Fired. The CEO. Oh really? She was technically interim, but she's been she's been there over a year. She was sure. uh, promoted after her predecessor Yishan Wong, who's the CEO. He resigned after some irresolvable dispute over his office space. But that was back in I think 2014, and okay. she's been introducing new harassment policies. She banned five subreddits that uh, people saw as being hate based. Like one was called uh, Fat People Hate, where people would post about hating fat people. Mm. Um, then with fi- with the firing of coordinator Victoria Taylor, she issued a statement saying, I want to apologize for how we handled the situation or the transition yesterday. We should have informed the moderators earlier and provided more details on the transition plan. We're working to make improvements and create the best experience for our users. And we aren't always perfect. Our community is what makes Reddit Reddit. And we let it and we let you down yesterday. But then suddenly she resigns. And I guess it, it is a resignation, not technically a firing. And then it just keeps spiraling down because uh, besides users leaving Reddit for its smaller competitor, I think it's called Vote or something. Okay. Uh, and, and Ellen being blamed for the dismissal, uh, it comes out later that actually it's the chairman who was another co-founder named Alexis o- Ohanian or something. He is the one who actually fired Victoria. And that, uh, and we know this because the old CEO, Yashan Wong, before Ellen, he went on Reddit and started just saying stuff he knew. <laughs> he, he said uh, that 
that now he's going to be a bit more open about everything he knows in there. And he, he's been saying all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and, and the new, uh, one of the other co-founders is now the new guy. And he told people they're going to be announcing new content policies. And it's just, it's just spiraling. And then Reddit's really mad about the idea of a new content policy that might shut some of their free speech down. And it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's an explosion. I, I think, I guess what fascinates me is, um, is watching leaders when they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm. If your board is telling you, you need to go this way, you're not wanting to go that way, but they're insisting that you do. And so you kind of partway go there. Oh, that's a, that's a real good ethical, moral dilemma. Yeah. You know, if, if your boss is telling you to do something and you're just, you know, what do you do when it, it's, it kind of goes against your grain? Um, I've been there in organizations where this kind of thing happens. Um, and yeah, when, when people start resigning around you um, and, and when you see people let go and a lot of it has to do with these um, philosophies of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the view of the product itself. Mm. And, and then there's the customers. And some, you don't have complete control over your product, how it's viewed, or any of that. You think you do, but you don't. And if all the customers think Reddit is one thing, that the board doesn't think it is or want it to be. I mean, you see that with Twitter. Twitter has been trying to change itself so hard, try to monetize and make money and be a public company. And I think Condé, Condé Nast, that big magazine owner, owns a lot of stuff. They own Reddit. And who knows? Yeah. They, I mean, they want it to make money someday. Yeah. <laughs> And that could, that could hurt. So like the thing I'd love if I had a chance to ask her anything mm-hmm. would be, did you know that this was the leanings of the board mm-hmm. before you jumped in, before mm-hmm. you took that role? How much, how much did you anticipate this being the elephant in the room kind of mm-hmm. challenge? Because, you know, you look at some, someone who's moving to a new town to take over some sports team where the sports team is in the basement. I mean, it's obvious what the expectation is that everybody has, that you're the turnaround artist and you're going to make things happen, you know, but, but in a lot of cases, the expectations are things that you can't speak outwardly. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And every CEO knows there's a whole lot of things that you can't say. Mm. You're, you're somewhat, the whole free speech notion Mm -hmm. when you're a CEO changes completely. Dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just let anything fly at your lips. Uh, not like we can. <laughs> Here on Leader FM. It's crazy. Speaking of uh, racial tension, mm-hmm. resource for this week. <laughs> you know, my resource for this week, I think, is going to be Reddit. <laughs> and I guess if you're in an industry, you have people in your company, in your industry that are on Reddit or in a subreddit. It might be, you know, the subreddit for education. It might be a subreddit for complaining about the government, whatever government it is. But there's uh, stuff to learn. And maybe it's because I'm the marketing guy and I want to be very customer-centric, but learning about and hearing what people are saying about you on Reddit, uh, it can help be a helpful step out of your box. So how do people, is it just reddit.com? Yeah, like I read it on Reddit. It's spelled R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. 
So go there right now while you're at work. If you're at work, I'm just kidding. As you go, remember, it is kind of a bastion of free speech. So you don't know if you're getting the truth. Leader FM does not endorse <laughs> everything specific posts yeah. or comments on Reddit. Yes, yeah, so we're getting to the end of our time here, Scott. So let me throw back what, what we've been saying and mm. see if um, there's any kind of short summary of all this. Uh, we talked a little bit about strategic planning. We, we did some good feedback on expectations, which I actually really liked, about uh, measurement and tracking, which I found interesting, and mm. to seek ways to track our expectations and to think about the metrics for the expectations that we set uh, in a holistic fashion that includes humans. We talked a little bit about uh, fires and this idea of the incident. I see if I, can, see if I can remember and pronounce it. The incident command structure system. 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 It's one of those S words. And the, some of the two things that you said from there that you know I'm going to take home with me is this this idea of scalability. Thinking about roles that don't need to exist at certain levels mm-hmm. and do and and ask myself: Is there ways we can grow this? Is there what can be scalable about my business? What is heavy and kind of fixed? Uh, there's all sorts of unethical ways of doing that. Like there's schools that are moving so heavy to these teachers that are not full time. They're just part time, so they get paid way less. They don't have benefits, and but it allows you flexibility. Right. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, not as ethical, but it's certainly something a lot of groups are using. Yeah. We talked a bit about fires and in the in the way that the command structure can. Well, one, it's just planning for the fire. One of the biggest principles here is that your command structure is really clear, that everybody's using the same language um, and that you know who to ask permission from, who, where, where the power flows, where the money flows, and where the information flows. Yet it, it ensures that you're not going to have uh, miscommunications if you do it right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested in Reddit uh, to look at it from leadership perspectives. I'll be checking out some of those subreddits. Like read Reddit and then about 18 hours later, then CNN's covering it. And do people care about this? Yeah. Oh, there, there's all these comments on it. And a lot of people have seen this. If it's the front page, a ton of people care about it. Mm. Even if it's a picture of a kitten, which sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it is. Pictures eh? of dogs and kittens, <laughs> which can help your day too. I think it's important to remember the, both the idea that your business plan has communications ramifications. Sometimes we think about response from a business perspective, money, but your reputation is just as important. And and there's a CEO that's not a CEO anymore. Firing after firing this low level person in the company that just was publicly beloved. I'd wager a lot. That's not the way she was planning on transitioning out. If she even was planning on transitioning out. We don't know why she was fired or anything like that. Yeah. All these things. This is totally hearsay in a way. But not in, it's analysis in another way. Analysis sounds better than opinion, right? <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. You can find Scott at advancedleadership.biz and on Twitter at leaderadvance. I am at thecreech on Twitter, and you can find me at thecreechleague.com. Please send in all comments, questions, and stories to leader.fm. Also, don't forget to read on iTunes if you enjoyed it. And, well, thank you, Dr. Scott, for joining me That's again. That's Tony. It was good. It was good. I'm looking forward to our next recording. Yeah, don't tell me your Reddit username. <laughs> I won't. That way you can re- remain I anonymous. Can, I can say from me. I want, yeah. I'll find you, though. <laughs> thank you, Tony, and to our listeners. How are you going to leverage this podcast to advance your leadership this week? 
I could have been up there fighting. You could have been. I could have been. Uh, uh, so I had a chance to go fight those forest fires up you north. You did. I did. I, I, I got a call. It's crazy. About, you were telling me you wanted to. I totally wanted to. And I was like writing them saying, hey, if you need me, I'll come up. And our, our chief got a call. And they, they basically said, we're leaving in an hour and a half. And I was out at the lake, like an hour's drive away. So I was going to like throw my gear and sure, I'll go. Yeah. But uh, some circumstances were there. I couldn't get away. And I'm just, uh, I, I said, I'd love to go. And now I can't. Oh, so everything within me wants to be up there. But the flip side of it, you know, everything. Uh, not everything. No, there's there were some very good, important reasons for me to stay home mm. this time, and uh, but oh boy, I wish I was up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, priorities sound so easy, and then you have something you really love and something else you really love a little bit more. It doesn't make the other thing junk. Yeah, yeah. The reason to stay home. Even if it's better than the reason to go, doesn't mean you don't also go. Oh, I can't believe I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. I want to do too much, so I, I <laughs> frequently just think, "Oh, I want to do that." There's so many things I want to do. So, what's on your list this month? What do you want to do? On the measure of out from zero to a hundred in either direction, makes decisions without information. Yeah, it needs information to make decisions. I'm like a seventy-five. It needs information to make decisions. Oh, okay. And in work life, I found there's a lot of ways I've worked to mitigate that. One is just I'm a constant animal. I'm an animal learner. That way, when situations hit, I've already been thinking about it. Right, right. Been brewing on it, and that's one of the reasons why I read a lot and stay in the news and uh, trends. I just devour them because the time, you know, time's going to come and I won't have the time. So if I've done pre-thinking on it and stuff and it, it prepares me also iteration is, is a key. Right. So you, you want to do that with your body then? Yeah. And I guess one of the reasons, so one of the food and when, if you look at those limitations, what has held me back from being as healthy as I should be? Uh, it's not a lack of understanding because I can't just work out or take some system. I just, I, I've done, I've, I guess I've done lot, plenty of that in my life yeah. for running, but I don't know how it all works. I don't mean I need to become a medical doctor because that would be <laughs> too far and then need to understand the body before you take care of it. And I'm sure doctors are so healthy, right? You know, right. Yeah. Never yeah. Doctors that aren't healthy. It's the cobbler shoe thing. Yeah. But for me, finding literature and finding stuff I can dig into that makes, that makes me, it makes it all click where I can think yeah. that I understand what I need to do. And some of it, there's a mix of research and real experimentation. What is healthy for me? I might blog about it, but I don't know. I don't know if I want people to know. <laughs> you know, one of the ways, you know, you make changes and make them just make them last as we both know is to make them public and announced and real. All right. Just yeah. secret little things. Yeah. And, um, I just so want to so give my, wife, my wife's birthday is on August uh, 29th. And I just want to give her, you know, a six pack for her, <laughs> for her birthday hey babe this is for you not not of uh, Dr. Pepper but of my abs right <laughs> <laughs> can I do that I'm gonna see if I can find out six pack in you don't have a lot of time and of course your wife is she's gonna listen to this and roll her eyes and say I don't want a six pack for my birthday I want a new television she said uh, yes I'd love that as long as that's not all I'm getting <laughs> 